Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? Carly is here with us and we are going to talk about HTMA, which stands for hair tissue mineral analysis. This is something we are going to be introducing to our students in the School of Christian Health and Nutrition, which Carly and I are working so hard on right now. Um, We have finalized some dates and we know that we're going to open the uh, school February The fifth will be our first live class, and we will be um, having an information call, an information Zoom on Sunday, December the 4th. So if you are interested in in the school and becoming a student in the school, if you have questions about it, we invite you to join us for that. We'll be sending out um, information um, links and such to everybody that's on our interest list for the school. So if you have not done that yet, if you are not on our interest list, go to christiannutritionschool.com, get your name on there. We will send out all these links and get you the information. And we are so excited. And so we're going to dive a little bit into this one little piece, one little thing that we're going to be talking about um, to, with our students, but also here for you today. Before we get started, though, I got to remind you and let you know that Feast of Fast registration is open. We are about to start our holiday challenge on November the 1st. Would love for you to join us. Love for you to um, be accountable, stay accountable, be with us as we navigate eating this holiday season. Um, it's a very good time to have some accountability with all the yummy things happening at this time of the year. You can go to feastafast.co to get signed up. Okay, Carly, I don't even introduce you anymore. I just say it's you. <laughs> What's up, friend? It's an implied introduction. It's okay. Yes, I think everybody. I still take it. Everybody knows you by now. A very, you're very hard at work um, doing your work as a nurse practitioner. 
Um, and we have just, it's been a joy to kind of see you evolve into this role and an honor to be partnered with you for the school. And this is, today is the exact kind of reason that I love to have you in and weigh in, um, Mm -hmm. because you are really familiar with HTMA and it's something that I'm learning. And so I'm really just going to let you take it away and, and talk about it today. Um, just, you know, but I will kick it off with the question, you know, which I'm sure everybody is would be thinking is, you know, why would we want to do this? What, why, why would we want to do this test instead of or right. alongside or as part of our um, kind of gauging and measuring and, and, and collecting data about our, our health status? So I'm going right. to let you take it away, girl. Of course. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me back on. I feel like this is my homeland and I just return every so often just to share something fun or new or exciting that I've been working on with patients um, or just learning about in my own personal study of all these topics. Again, yes, Chelsea and I are working very, very hard on the school and just kind of getting everything prepared for everyone. And we're really both thrilled about how it's coming together. And we're both excited about the ability to incorporate tools like HTMA that we weren't necessarily taught about during our initial nutrition training and had to learn over time. And so today I would love to give just a very brief insight into what HTMA is, what it does, how it works, um, and why it could be beneficial for you in your health. And also if you're interested in becoming a practitioner and working with folks on their nutrition, how it could benefit you there as well. So in terms of hair testing, the reason that we look at hair versus just something like the blood is that, um, I always tell patients this kind of funny example that our hair is like the storage unit of our body versus the blood is like the truck on the transportation highway. So we're, the blood is kind of moving things throughout the body. You're going to need different things in a storage unit than what you would need on the highway. And so we'll have maybe your sodium could look really low in your blood and it's very high in your hair. And so it's not necessarily that you need to eat more sodium. It's more so about cellular transportation, communication, and function. And so HTMA, especially combined with blood work and combined with your symptom presentation, just gives us a whole other nuanced perspective of what's actually going on within the body. So when we're talking about hair testing, it's also very economical. So it's the test that I use is from Trace Elements. It's my preferred test. It only costs $59, which is just amazing. Most functional tests can cost between $300 and $500 and aren't covered by insurance. And so the fact that this testing is easy enough to collect at home, it's really great results. You can compare them with your regular blood work from your doctor and kind of incorporate and interpret that. Um, It also is economical, it's affordable, it's practical. And it's something that I've seen substantial benefit just by introducing into my practice very recently. I also feel like the recently within the last year or so when I've been seeing clients and patients for three and a half years total. Um, And so by incorporating HTMA, I love that it also focuses not only on what we need to do in terms of supplements, but also looking at What can we do in terms of our food, Um, so dietary, lifestyle factors, sleep, stress management, um, our nervous system regulation, all of those things are incorporated. It's very holistic. It's less so fixated on an end result like a target 
organ, such as your thyroid or your progesterone being low. Um, it's more so focused on how to support the entire body holistically for resilience and optimal health. So that's one of the big reasons I'm so passionate about HTMA. So we'll start out by talking about metabolic types um, and how they're actually a reflection of our thyroid and adrenal function. So this is one of the coolest things that I often talk to even new patients about is that they'll ask me, okay, well, how do I know what type of macronutrient ratios work for me, work for my health? How would I know that? I mean, so many people will say, well, keto is the better way or going higher carb and lower fat. Um, I think we know in general that keeping carbs to a certain degree and using carb cycling um, and fasting strategically, if that's something your body tolerates, are generally supportive strategies, but how do you dive deeper and find out what actually works for my body? There are these metabolic types. There's actually eight total metabolic types in HTMA, and there's fast one through four and slow one through four. <laughs> so they're kind of just like what they sound like. Um, so these types are depictive of how our body does what's called oxidation. So oxidation or metabolism is basically things burning. And so our body, the way that it works is almost like a fire. And so it's minerals plus oxygen releasing energy. And so all oxidation, all metabolism creates energy. Um, and so we have to learn what our rate of oxidation is, and that's what determines what type of fuel would work best for our specific fire. Like, does our fire do better with kindling, or does it do better with like those like more like fire like firewood like more thick logs that would give longer burning fuel? And that all depends on the conditions of our fire. So the minerals. Um, in our body are a big part of what determines that, but specifically how minerals impact our thyroid and adrenal glands. So if our body oxidizes really slowly or burns feel really slowly, um, so carbs and proteins, this is slow metabolism, so slow one through four. And then fast metabolism would be the opposite. You're burning through things too quickly. Um, and so when it's, when it comes to metabolic types, of course, there's slow one through four, fast one through four. There's also mixed types that are showing kind of mixed characteristics, some characteristics of fast, some characteristics of slow mixed together in one person. So again, the metabolic type itself is a really important um, thing that you're going to see on your report when you get it back. The top right hand corner, it says what type of what metabolic type you have. So slow oxidation in general, there's a couple key features that are really important. So a slow metabolism person is going to be more have more of a tendency towards parasympathetic dominance. So dominance of that quote unquote rest and digest state. However, it can actually turn into a tendency towards that dorsal vagal um, kind of fetal position, complete shutdown helplessness state that we discussed on our last podcast together about the nervous system. So parasympathetic dominant to the extent of possibly becoming dorsal in the right circumstances. So it doesn't mean that you're super rested and chilled. It might mean that your body is shut down and unable to respond. It also um, tends to correlate, slow metabolism tends to correlate with a decrease in thyroid function and a decrease in adrenal function. So your body might feel low thyroid, very fatigued, very low energy, difficulty kind of bouncing back from stressors with your adrenal function, um, even if your blood work looks okay. 
In terms of diet, um, oftentimes it's correlated with dietary factors like low protein intake, high carbs, eating lots of refined carbs, that type of thing. Um, and then digestion, usually poor absorption, poor utilization of nutrients, which then decreases the metabolism further. And then that slows down your stomach acid production, slows down your, your bile production, your enzyme production, and overall just makes your digestion less and less efficient. It can also correlate towards viral infections, so chronic viral infections. So I, this is another one of my uh, fun examples I use with patients. If we have our phone, and let's say our phone battery is draining really quickly, and we're saying, why is that, like, why is that happening? I'm not sure why. It could be because there's an app open that's kind of using up the battery and the memory of your phone, <laughs> just going on in the background. And so that's very commonly what's happening with viral infection. So when you first had the infection, it was taxing your body, you had a fever, you had a sore throat, etc. But that app never fully got closed out. And so that app is running in the background. And when you have a low metabolism or a slow metabolic type, you have an inability to clear past viral infections. Also, diminished metabolic rate is correlated with those low thyroid symptoms like fatigue, cold hands and feet, easy weight gain, craving for sweets, as well as that like kind of malaise or fatigue associated with some of those chronic viral infections. So just never feeling quite right, always feeling a little bit under the weather or like you're on the verge of getting sick often. So it is very interesting to see this slow metabolism happening. And I will say too, some symptoms people get with slow oxidation include like allergies, lack of appetite, cold hands and feet, easy weight gain, carb cravings, fatigue, um, candida, yeast infections, low blood pressure, poor digestion, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, osteopenia and osteoporosis, um, even ulcers um, and viral infections are all associated with that slow oxidizer pattern. So to, so you can change if you get things mm -hmm. kind of cleaned up and worked out and use this information, can you change from a slow to a fast? Mm-hmm, you can. And it's not even necessarily that there is one state that's better than the other to be in. It kind of depends on the person where your body will naturally sit best at. It's more working with that tendency, and the tendency will become less exaggerated over time as you're able to actually balance out your minerals. Like one thing that's really associated with slow metabolism is usually high calcium, like high tissue calcium, because it changes the ability of the other minerals to get inside of the cell, and that's what causes the slow oxidation, because it can't burn fuel that's not present inside of the cell. So oftentimes, um, just by adjusting some other minerals to lower the calcium, it can actually fix this pattern. So you might have a tendency toward mm -hmm. your metabolic type, but you can optimize yes. your metabolic type. Is that yes. kind of just what like, you mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah okay. just like with our nervous system modes, it's not that any of them are wrong. It's just the ability to be flexible and adapt in our body is more important. So you don't want to be too extreme in any one pattern. Okay, gotcha. This is so interesting. I know, it's really cool stuff. Um, so I will tell you the kind of the individual types. I'll give you the quick, the quick rundown. So a slow one, a slow type one, 
um, is somebody that's parasympathetic dominant, decreased thyroid, decreased adrenal, and low or diminished energy production. This one's usually not too extremely horrible. <laughs> so the more you get from slow one down to four, the worse, quote unquote, it gets, the more imbalanced you are. So this can lead to some like constipation, depression, fatigue, copper in excess, calcium in excess, that kind of thing. Um, but it's usually pretty manageable. Okay. A slow two is associated with an acute stress reaction, either physical or emotional. So in a slow two, you're going to have calcium high as well as sodium and potassium. Because sodium and potassium will increase if there's an alarm reaction from the nervous system because it causes the body to secrete cortisol, which hold, helps our body hold on to sodium and potassium a lot more than usual. The interesting thing too here is with slow twos, um, we can see a lot of emotional stress and feelings of fear specifically. Feelings of fear or insecurity, grief are very common with this type. I don't see a lot of slow twos. Um, the interesting thing about this is that this pattern is mixed oxidation. So it's a combination of burning things slowly, but also having this high energy adrenal reaction with cortisol. Um, it's imbalanced. Like the thyroid function is reduced, but the adrenal is burning at a thousand percent. And so it leads to slow oxidation, but it's imbalanced. And so eventually the adrenal alarm reaction wears off and then you get adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, or long periods of fatigue. And that's what a slow two often, often experiences. Okay. Next we have slow three. Slow threes are associated with depression and irritability. They're also parasympathetic or dorsal dominant. Um, they have increased thyroid function and decreased adrenal activity. So it's kind of the, the flip of slow twos. And then finally, we have slow threes. So, or so, sorry, slow fours. Slow fours are parasympathetic dominant again, um, but they have a tendency toward increased thyroid and increased adrenal. So this is a strong tendency toward an acute stress reaction. So again, the body tends to be in alarm state more often than not. Um, the stress could be physical in that it could be a response to a health-related issue, or it could be an emotionally-related stress response. It's temporary and it should change when the stress is relieved, and that's what differentiates a slow for. Okay, so those are our slows. And so everyone says, well, um, so if I gain weight a lot, is it because I'm a slow metabolizer? That's not necessarily true. And we'll talk about why fast metabolizers can also struggle with their weight as well. So let's talk about fast metabolism. Any questions about slow, Chelsea? Does that all make sense? Yes, that, yeah, that makes sense. Very cool. Okay, let's talk about fast metabolism. So these are our um, people that have stress and burnout syndrome. <laughs> so chronic or prolonged stress, of course, we know that stress is just part of life and it's part of being a human being and not being in heaven yet. <laughs> it serves a useful purpose when it's controlled. But this chronic uncontrolled stress leads to tons of imbalances and then it leads to this fast metabolism kind of diminishing over time and the body getting more and more dependent on stress to function. So when it comes to chronic stress, if a stress has been present for an extended period of time, like I said earlier when I talked about the other metabolic types with slows, 
Eventually, the thyroid and adrenals can't keep up sufficient energy production to keep up with the stress demands. And so there can be periods of fatigue and depression that alternate with periods of like anxiety and almost mania of getting tons of stuff done and then alternating back to fatigue and depression and so, so on and so forth. Like there's more ups and downs with a fast metabolizer. Fast metabolizers also have increased activity of the adrenal glands and the thyroid glands. They'll convert nutrients into energy at a rapid rate, which results in energy and mood swings like we talked about, unless the energy remains constant. And then here's a really important piece is that fast metabolizers usually function best under stress due to the body's response to increasing energy production when confronted by a stressor, whether it's physical or emotional or something else. And so that's why this is not me. (laughs) I do not function well under stress. I'm definitely a slow type. Um, Fast metabolizers also have to eat frequently in order to maintain their energy level. So this can result in weight gain in the abdominal area because of cortisol and also because of blood sugar. Um, A fast metabolism can also result in a warmer body temperature, um, a tendency to sweat easily, that type of thing. That's so, so interesting. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm having all these people come into my mind about like, I know oh, you might be this and you might be this. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a fun thing to think about patients and clients and say, oh, I want to do an HTMA and then I make my own predictions about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's cool to see when I'm right. It's very fun. Very cool. So let's talk about the individual ones of the fast of different types. Okay. So we have fast metabolism, which is type one. Let's talk about the individual parts of this. So it's kind of interesting. I'm even thinking of people as I talk through this. So we often have hyperthyroidism, so too much thyroid hormone with too much adrenal activity and too little parathyroid gland activity. Um, So you'll have hyperreflexia, which is lots of reflexes in terms of like, you know, when you go to the doctor, you get that reflex on your knee. Um, You can have really strong reflexes. You can have fine muscle tremors or twitches. Um, insomnia, specifically with a fast one, irritability, um, nighttime muscle cramps, nervousness, noise sensitivity, abnormally rapid heart rate, warm body temperature, decreased thyroid function and increased adrenal, and then that's also what it's what's called stress seeking. So starting several projects at once and waiting to the last minute to meet deadlines are common descriptions of a, of a fast one. Very interesting. It's also um, sympathetic dominant, this type. This fast one type is sympathetic dominant, so more prone towards that fight or flight, I'm running away from a tiger or a bear or a dog or whatever it is. (laughs) And that's what a fast one would experience. Okay. Next is fast two. So just like slow two, this is often associated with the result of an acute stress reaction or possible inflammatory condition. This one, however, is associated with high energy, but the energy level could fluctuate, particularly when under stress. This pattern is often associated with mood and energy swings specifically, and it's sympathetic dominant, so again, that tendency towards running from a tiger, decreased thyroid function, and increased adrenal activity. So you could see a lot of like cortisol, belly, weight gain here, lots of carb cravings, that kind of thing, because the body is trying to fuel up to kind of last through the stressor um, that's happening acutely. So being the fast metabolizer is not always, I mean, we just think, oh, that sounds so good. I want to be a yeah. fast metabolizer, but <laughs> it's not necessarily just, you know, easy street here. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> 
I think everyone's like, oh, wait, I hope I'm a fast. I'm like, well, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. If you're a fast, you'll have a lot more of abdominal weight gain versus a slow type would gain more weight in like their, like it's more like a pear-shaped body. So you gain more weight in like thighs and butt in that type of area. Oh, I'm slow then. Not on you. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> same, same, girl. Same, same. Okay, let's talk about fast metabolism type 3. So this is going to be sympathetic dominant again, but it's a tendency towards increased thyroid function and decreased adrenal activity. So it's the flip of, of type 2. Um, you know, they knew what they were doing when they made, made up this, this nomenclature. So increased thyroid function, um, decreased secretion of hormones, um, and increased secretion of like all of the very stress-inducing thyroid hormones. <laughs> so like reverse T3 and that type of thing. So this pattern is associated with exposure to a rather strong, is what the, the wording is, and prolonged period of stress, whether physical and or emotional. And it's described as the resistance or exhaustion stage of stress. So kind of after the body's worn through its its last um, like final, final frontier, so to speak. Um, there's a noticeable drop in normal energy levels, and this condition, if chronic, can also result in chronic infections, lower resistance to infections. If somebody's sick, you're gonna get sick immediately as well as excessive metabolic activity. So you can't eat enough to keep up with your body's metabolic demands in terms of minerals, but you're still having some signs of that adrenal and thyroid insufficiency where you could still have weight gain. Okay, last one is fast four, which is a more common pattern in kids. Usually kids are more towards fast than slow, but it doesn't necessarily have to be true. So in fast fours, it's increased metabolic activity, so sympathetic dominant, decreased thyroid function, decreased adrenal activity. Um, so it's kind of like one of those things where a metabolic rate is considered to be fast, but if it's not a child, um, it can ex- the person could be experiencing low adrenal and low thyroid. Um, a fast four is like the final frontier before the person goes to a slow. Um, in terms of kids, this is a normal pattern and it means that they have good thyroid and adrenal function. One thing that's interesting about this is that this pattern actually has more phosphorus than calcium, and that can actually be the result of prolonged chronic stress because the body is using up the calcium really quickly, and there's not enough in the system to buffer the phosphorus. It's also associated in adults with stress burnout syndrome when stress has been present for an extended period, and eventually the thyroid and adrenals just can't keep up with energy production to maintain your resistance and resilience to stress. And so it can result in periodic fatigue and depression as well in an adult, okay? So that's it for the metabolic types. Any major questions about that? I don't think so. I think that's um, just super interesting. I feel like I wanna I wanna look at this. <laughs> like I wanna, I wanna see it in print so I can um, mm-hmm. imprint it on my brain here that it's, um, that's very cool. It's very cool stuff. Often when I go through these with patients, they'll say, how does this test know my life? <laughs> how does this test know the way that I behave and experience that life? It, it's very true. Um, so again, it's just one thing that's really, I mean, it's amazing that it only costs $60 to get this information about yourself and even just get, get a test and then see what your body is showing you on just listening to this podcast and give you lots of information. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move into next talking about the mineral ratios that actually make up the metabolic type and everything else because our body like 
there's all these different things happening in our body. It's, it's more of an orchestra than it is a solo. <laughs> and so just because one individual instrument sounds good or bad on its own doesn't mean that our body doesn't need all those instruments working together and sounding good to be that whole larger picture. So we're trying to make the orchestra sound good versus an individual instrument. And so that's why we care so much about mineral ratios and less so about the individual minerals. So I'll kind of go ahead and go on to individual mineral ratios and what they're telling us about our body, okay? So just starting out here, in terms of the first ratio, we have calcium to phosphorus. So calcium, of course, we know it's found in dairy products and that kind of stuff. Same with phosphorus. Um, dairy products like nuts and seeds, that type of stuff. So the calcium to phosphorus ratio is what's called the autonomic balance ratio. The range is from 1.6 to 3.6, and an optimal number here would be about 2.6. So, of course, calcium is controlled by our parasympathetic nervous system, and phosphorus is controlled by the sympathetic branch. So we just talked about sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is the speed up and parasympathetic is the slowdown, which could get a little too slow. <laughs> um, but it's still cool to know about that. So the body is balancing between these two systems and the minerals associated with them. Um, we want to be able to go speed up when we need to and slow down also when we need to as well. So our calcium to phosphorus ratio, if it is low or high, it's going to be suggestive of being in one state or the other. So the lower this number is, it's suggestive of being more sympathetic dominant. So let's say you're 1.4, you're gonna be sympathetic dominant. So very stimulatory, increase in metabolism, high heart rate, high blood pressure, high blood sugar. If you're gonna be above that you know, 3.6, 3.5, 3.7-ish area, you're more suggestive of being parasympathetic. So more towards that dorsal, like maybe a little too relaxed, a little bit too calm not able to fully respond to stressors. Um, again, parasympathetic is more prone towards that pear-shaped body versus a sympathetic dominant is gonna be an apple-shaped body. Next up, we have sodium to potassium. This ratio is really, really important. It's one of the most important ratios to evaluate because there is what's called a sodium-potassium pump in our body that moves movement in and out of the cell on every single cell in our entire body. So nothing can get into or out of the cell without use of that pump. And so by looking at the ratio between sodium and potassium, it tells us how willing our cells are to uptake nutrients and toxins and all those types of things. So again, this ratio should be between 1.4 and 3.4, an optimal number right around 2.6. So when it's below optimal, um, if it's below 2.6, um, it's called what's, what's called an inversion. So that sodium to potassium ratio being below optimal. Um, an inversion of sodium potassium indicates what's called reduced vitality. So impaired electrical balance within the cells. Um, sodium is mostly supposed to be kept outside of the cell while potassium belongs inside the cell. So if there's a decrease in the ratio, it means that some of the potassium is leaking into the actual outside of the cell as cells are destroyed. Um, even if potassium is actually showing high on the hair test. And what happens here is that your body can't burn glucose properly, and then it can break down your tissue and cause all sorts of things like arthritis and ulcers and fatigue and adrenal stuff, um, all those types of things. Um, mean, meanwhile, if the sodium to potassium ratio is high, um, it means that the vitality of the cells is intact. 
if it's too much, it could mean that the body is like burning glucose too quickly. So again, each thing is if it's the the inverse is also not good. <laughs> we want our ratio to be kind of in that happy medium Goldilocks place versus being um, super high or super low for any of these numbers. So looking next at calcium to potassium ratio, this is our thyroid ratio. So people are always like, well, my thyroid, my doctor told me my thyroid test is normal. That's my favorite line. <laughs> I'm like, it's not true. Um, it's, it's fake. Um, so the thyroid gland, of course, is one of the major glands that regulates metabolic rate in the body. It controls calcium in the body via the production of what's called calcitonin. Um, and the higher the calcium, the lower the thyroid activity. So again, calcium to potassium ratio um, should be between 2.2 and 6.2, but the optimal is right around 4.2. So if that calcium to potassium ratio is below optimal, it tends to correlate towards hyperthyroid symptoms. So too, too much thyroid, basically. Um, cells are too permeable, so hormone uptake is too rapid. So you could have hypothyroid symptoms, but the HTMA is showing us that your body is just taking up thyroid too quickly. It's not that you actually lack thyroid in general. Meanwhile, if your ratio is too high, it tends to correlate to hypothyroid. So your body is just not making enough thyroid in the first place, which is why no matter what your blood work looks like, I love having an HTMA too, because it's just so much more comprehensive in terms of what is the result um, in terms of what we should do. Should we give some support for the body to improve that cellular permeability, like to kind of help block some of that excess uptake, or should we give something to help the body make more thyroid? If the thyroid numbers on the lab look hypothyroid, the only conventional approach is to give thyroid medication, and that's just not the right approach for every person, especially if they're having this below optimal ratio, which you wouldn't know unless you tested this. So again, Carly, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. if, if, if somebody had thyroid numbers come back that were um, on their blood tests that were not optimal, is this, would you say, okay, before we make any decisions here, should let's do an HTMA and, mm -hmm. and dig a little deeper? Especially if I've talked to them and I feel like I'm getting a vibe <laughs> that this might be happening for them. Especially if their symptoms aren't all completely hypothyroid, like they're not completely that picture, like maybe they have some anxiety and some difficulty sleeping. They have kind of an incomplete picture. Some of their symptoms don't line up with their labs it could be a really helpful tool. I don't always do this, but I do very much, I do do it often enough to know if someone's overthyroided, even if their thyroid looks good, quote unquote, on their blood work. Mm -hmm. I love having this as an option for that, just to mm -hmm. have more information to add to the, because like you said, usually it's just a go-to, okay, here's your prescription. Yeah, that's all we can do. Goodbye. Um, but it is cool, too, because once I even have someone on thyroid, if I want to know if the thyroid is actually working for them on a cellular level, I'll do an HTMA and see, is this pushing their body too much or is this good? Or is it not enough? I mean, I'll know that after doing an HTMA. If I actually do have to give someone a prescription, it's a good safeguard for that. So would you, okay, would you use this, an HTMA, if to kind of check, is that what you're saying, to check how the thyroid medication is functioning, mm -hmm. if it's doing its job? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, and so exactly. mm -hmm. um, to help give you information if that might need to be adjusted. Yep, exactly. Okay, cool. Yep, I know, it's fun stuff. I love my job. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Okay, let's talk about zinc to copper. This is a cool ratio. And again, I'm sticking to like the five most important ratios today because I, we have limited time. I wanted to give you guys the most important stuff. Um, but we can dig deeper. If anyone wants more information about this, please reach out to me. I'm happy to share. Um, and we'll put some information in the show notes as well. So let's talk about zinc to copper. So zinc to copper is a hormone and energy regulation ratio. The range is from four to 12, but your optimal is gonna be right around eight. So this is actually really interesting. Zinc is actually correlated roughly, I mean, it's not perfect, with progesterone in women and testosterone in men, while copper is correlated with estrogen in men and in women. So if this could be, if this ratio is off for you, it could be because of your hormones, but it could also be just because you're taking zinc or taking copper, <laughs> that oh, kind of thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty awesome. Wow. That's yeah. cool. It's a good way of checking because, I mean, a lot of patients I had were taking zinc for years because of COVID, and their zinc-copper ratio gets really messed up, and you wonder, why is their progesterone, why are they not tolerating progesterone, or why is their estrogen being off? It's often because of this. Mm, so fascinating. And and we have we've talked before also about these ratios and I always call it like this frenemy type situation mm-hmm. where they have to be frenemy friends. Is the right word. Yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like they they have to work together, but they're also like if one's dominant then, you know, there's there's issues, there's frenemy. So we we have to have these um these minerals in the right ratio. This is so important and this is what this test really helps you gauge, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Yeah, okay. The higher this ratio gets, so like anything above 8 or 9, the higher it gets can be indicative of copper deficiency. Um, so you wanna make sure you're not taking too much zinc um, in relation to copper. And it's just really, really important to look at this. But the main minerals you wanna balance first are gonna be like sodium, potassium, magnesium first, and then zinc and copper are kind of secondary. Um, but tendencies for this ratio of someone's high would be like atherosclerosis, like plaque formation, high cholesterol, skin issues, and like female issues like, you know, period pain, um, cysts, endometriosis, etc. If this ratio is really, really low, um, it's kind of the opposite problem. So you could have amenorrhea, so lack of period, or just really light periods. You could have like super dry skin. You can have low cholesterol. Um, you can have lots of inflammation because you need cholesterol to fight inflammation off. So that's what happens if the ratio is low, so lower than that eight. If it's higher than eight, we're looking at the high cholesterol, skin issues, plaque formation in the arteries, that kind of thing. All right. Next ratio is our sodium to potassium, sorry, sodium to magnesium, goodness, cannot read today. And that is our adrenal health ratio. So the range for this is two to six, optimal is about four. So, this is a little interesting to explain, so hang on to your hats, everyone. So, the way that this is regulated is through this hormone that's called aldosterone. And it's an adrenal hormone that our body makes. It regulates retention of sodium in the body. So, in general, the higher the sodium level, the higher the aldosterone. Um, This ratio is also a measure of energy output because the adrenal glands are a major regulator of your metabolic rate. So this oftentimes does not match blood tests for adrenal hormones because again, everything with our hair is, is tissue. It's not, it's not highway, it's storage unit. And so sometimes the blood test or the, the saliva test could be normal for your adrenals, but this mineral test could show abnormal adrenal function. But usually symptoms can kind of correlate well with this analysis. 
So the higher this ratio is, the range is two to six, optimal is about four. So anything above that optimal um, correlates to like hyperadrenergic behavior. So like too much adrenal activity. So lots of cortisol, lots of aggressiveness, impulsiveness, high blood sugar, high blood pressure, um, increased stamina and drive, tendency to inflammation and inflammatory reactions, and a type A personality. So <laughs> all my type A people that I read this to go, oh, okay, I'm not broken. I get, I get it now. <laughs> um, versus if this ratio is below optimal, it correlates to tons of fatigue, passivity, difficulty making decisions, feeling overwhelmed, decreased motivation, stamina, drive, um, and a tendency towards more of a type B personality. So kind of let, let things go, go with the flow chronically late. That may or may not be me. <laughs> um, so that is your adrenal health ratio, which is sodium to mag. All right. That's the five main ratios, but I, I feel like I want to give you all a little extra just for some fun. <laughs> so we'll go through our last three and we're going to start with calcium to magnesium, which is also known as our blood sugar ratio. So the range for this should be between 3 and 11, but the optimal is going to be around 7. I actually just had a patient whose ratio was 19 for this. Like, whoa. <laughs> so calcium, the reason that this is supplies to our blood sugar is because calcium is required for release of insulin from the pancreas, whereas magnesium is required for both the actual action of insulin as well as the creation of insulin from the islet cells of the pancreas. So Magnesium, need, we need magnesium for our cells to be responsive to insulin, but also for our cells to make insulin, the ones in the pancreas that make insulin. Not me, because I have type 1 diabetes, my body doesn't do that, but everyone else's body. <laughs> and then in terms of calcium, that helps our, our pancreas actually re release the insulin it's already made. So when this ratio is high, if it's above 7, it, tend, it indicates a tendency towards low blood sugar. So kind of that need to continually feed into the blood sugar. So imbalanced glucose, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, low blood sugar, or like reactive hypoglycemia, where after you eat um, something that has carbs in it, you're needing to kind of come back and eat carbs an hour later, 30 minutes later, versus waiting a normal amount of time to eat your next meal. Um, and so when we're thinking about this, Sugar cravings could be a huge thing here. Muscle twitches and spasms, um, aches and pains, constipation are all part of this as well. So that's your cal to mag. Let me ratio. ask you a question mm -hmm. um, with the magnesium because, you mm -hmm. know, magnesium is something we often, um, fairly often just say, you know, magnesium is something we're deficient in. It's so deficient in our soil. Most of us are depleted in it. and. Right. Um, it's something most of us practitioners, you know, can generally recommend pretty safely just saying, you know, most of us right. are, mm -hmm. are, do you ever see people that are just too high in magnesium? Yes. Do you? Do. Okay. Yeah. It's possible that the magnesium is actually too high. Um, and it can actually be a very common for a slow oxidizer, but their magnesium's too high. I actually won't give magnesium to a patient until their sodium and potassium are fixed first. Okay. So what, I prioritize those first. Mm -hmm. What, is, so is there some, can you quote unquote, easy way for somebody to know if maybe they were getting too much magnesium? 
Not necessarily unless, so I always focus on, you know, like the adrenal cocktail, like kind of just general recommendations is doing an adrenal cocktail for like a month before you would ever try to take magnesium because adrenal cocktails increase cellular energy and magnesium slows it down. So we don't want to give magnesium if you're already in a very depleted state because it's just going to slow things down further if you don't have the cellular energy like the gas in the tank, quote unquote, to actually fuel those reactions. Magnesium, if it's given to a depleted body, can just make it more depleted. Okay. Interesting. I know. It's so tricky. I feel um, like this is, is going to be like, yeah, a million like questions are going to come up. So, yeah, magnesium was so important. I was like, everyone needs magnesium. And then I started doing HTMAs. I was like, okay, just kidding. For most people, it is something that's beneficial, but some people don't tolerate it. And I know tons of patients who felt like kind of gaslighted by their provider because they were told, well, you shouldn't react like that to magnesium. Like you should be able to tolerate it. Like you're fine. And I do really strongly believe that whenever you don't tolerate something, it's your body trying to communicate with you. There's nothing wrong with you. So it's just your body's context at that time is not ready for magnesium. So the best way to do it is just to try it. And if it makes you tired or fatigued or gives you gut issues, then try it again, you know, um, later on, once you've done some fueling up first with adrenal cocktails. My husband, um, this is funny. I, this just happened this last week. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, he, I've tried to get him to take magnesium. Like if anybody needs like something calming, it's you, babe. Um, but, and if anybody's (laughs) depleted, he's so, he's so stressed out, um, uh, as of late, but, um, anyway, he took it the other night. You know, I keep my, my bedside, I take it every night. And that's mm-hmm. what I recommend for a lot of people. He took it the other night, and after it had been sitting on his bedside for a very long time, and he he, he couldn't sleep. It, it was just it, – it kept him awake. It just was mm-hmm. very disturbing. And, and he's like, yep. you know, it did not work for him. That is the first time I've ever heard of that. But I was like, well, then you certainly – that is – you know, we need to pull back on that and, and tweak a little bit. But that's really – it's funny that this is all kind of mm-hmm. happening at the same time because I've never had anybody give me that kind of feedback. But um, that was true for him. So for yes, and I would tell everybody – we can make the, you know, make some general recommendations. Like most people are deficient in magnesium. So, um, that's one of the safer things to, to play with. But yeah, if you have a reaction like that, it doesn't mean you're wrong about it. And that might be Mm -hmm. something to pull back on and, and investigate a little bit further. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's funny too, because in functional medicine, we're told like, oh, check magnesium, red blood cell levels, right. On like blood chem courses and stuff like that. And just because your red blood cell magnesium is low doesn't mean that you should force your body to have more. I, to me, it's just a question of why doesn't my body want this? It doesn't mean that I need to just force it to have it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. See, y'all, this way, Carly is going to blow our minds in our nutrition school. She's going to come in and <laughs> refine us. And, to, you know, really, like, she teaches me things all the time, which, um, so obviously, sweet. and... Um, <laughs> That's why I, I love getting to partner up with you because you have all this, this you know, this broader knowledge of this in the conventional medical world and the holistic world. Mm-hmm. And just bridging that gap is just, this is so fantastic. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. You're so sweet. Okay. Um, so keep yeah, on and wrap it up. Yeah. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep it going. So I have two more to share with y'all because I just am a nerd and I couldn't stop at five even though I wanted to. <laughs> I should have, I should say. I didn't want to stop at five. Um, so let's do iron to copper. That's an infection indication ratio or a tendency. So the range is 0.2 to 1.6. Optimal is about 0.9. 
So the lower this ratio is, the more tendency you have towards viral infections. So if you're under 0.9, you more tend towards viral infections versus higher tends more towards bacterial infections, which is just kind of a fun thing to know if you're more sensitive to one over the other. And then we have copper to molybdenum. So copper imbalance ratio, this range is really high. It's 400 to 850 and optimal is around 625. If this ratio is below 625, it indicates usually a need for molybdenum and not usually too much copper, usually just a need for molybdenum. But if the ratio is high or above optimal, usually indicates a need for copper. That's a pretty simple one. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, we will have all this in the show notes. So if you're like me, like what I was saying earlier, like I need to see this, you know, and, and I have the benefit right now of have, like being able to look at some of these notes um, Carly has made along the way, um, but I need to soak them in. So if you're kind of like that, you can look at the show notes and we'll have a lot of this in here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for the good plug there. Cause well, we will put all this in the show notes. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about would be heavy metals. And people say, well, I need to get my heavy metals tested. Is an HGMA a good way to do that? And not necessarily. It's one of the ways we can tell if you have a very overt heavy metal toxicity. But all that it means when you have metals in your hair is that there's metals in your hair. doesn't necessarily mean that there's no metals anywhere else. Um, so it's, it's possible that you could have heavy metals elsewhere in the body. Heavy metals are things like mercury and arsenic and aluminum and lead and cadmium. So they're basically minerals gone bad. <laughs> so they're minerals with no physiological or biological function that are known to be harmful. So they're naturally occurring, but the more that we have been exposed to chemicals and processed food, um, we get exposed to increasing amounts of these heavy metals. And they are a huge cause of illness and aging and genetic defects and all sorts of things. So the body will use heavy metals in place of minerals if there's deficiencies, and this displaces the trace elements. So it can cause mineral imbalances. So heavy metals are really important to look at on HTMA just to see if that's what's causing like a low sodium, low potassium, high copper, that kind of thing. Um, and so a low level of metals, like I said, only tells us on HTMA, I should say, only tells us that the amount of metal deposited in the hair was low. There could still be metals deposited elsewhere in the body. So these are things like, of course, mercury, arsenic, cadmium, lead, aluminum, and nickel. And those are the top five that I usually include on my clients' reports. Um, but the best way to test for metals would be like doing a provoked urine metals test with something called DMSO or DMSA. There's different forms. And that actually would be the, the, be like kind of opening up um, the body's storage sites for heavy metals and kind of letting that dust out, so to speak, so it can be caught by the urine test. Um, and so I would recommend doing a urine test if this came up positive for some metals for you, or if this even came up negative on HTMA and you're still thinking there's metals going on. So this is not the best testing for metals. I do HTMA more so for the nutritional knowledge, looking at mineral balancing, looking at electrolytes, looking at nervous system and how to support you with your stress level, thyroid function, adrenals, hormones, all those types of things. Less so about heavy metals, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it does. I was going to ask that question. Like, if, okay, if this isn't a good test for that, then um, then what is? Um, okay, cool. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about that? Or did we get through get through everything? 
Um, that is pretty much it in terms of HTMA. We're going to put a summary into the note if any or into the um, show notes for y'all. If anybody wants to get an HTMA done with me or work with me, they can totally do that. Um, but there's also tons of practitioners that do HTMAs that are wonderful. Um, I've read tons of HTMAs and so they're kind of my favorite. Um, so if you even get yours done and have questions, I'd be happy to have you schedule a consult with me. But yeah, love talking about HTMA. Can't wait to share even more information than this with our school students. It's going to be awesome. We have a pretty epic module planned in terms of our water module plus the HTMA and minerals. It's going to be epic. And yeah, I'm just really excited about that. I will share like a little bit of the scriptural background too, or maybe you can, Chelsea, um, just to kind of wrap this up and kind of anchor ourselves back in the way the Lord created our bodies and how this is such a cool window into what into the way that he created us like he created our bodies like giving us the answers to our health concerns which is so cool oh i love yeah i love that i mean i didn't even really kind of tie it in or think of that like that um but that's that's so true this gives us insight and you know i just i want to circle back and say you know this this is nothing that i of all the testing and um things that i have learned you know this is not one that i have have uh, ventured out or approached yet, but I am learning along with our students as they learn. And so it's just an, an extra layer of education and information that um, just to help people, um, to help yourself if you're getting your test or to help a practitioner really dial in what is going to be best for their client. So I'm, I'm excited that this is going to be included. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're not going to make y'all wait until you've been doing nutrition for years like we had to wait. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We'll, we'll start We'll start low and slow, and we'll build it up for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, in, there is a good verse to kind of to go along with this, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So it's Luke chapter 12, verse 7, and it reads, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Um, and I just love this verse because it reminds me of the way that our, our bodies were designed, like with this beautiful, intentional, intelligent design that, um, the Lord didn't make any mistakes in the way that he made you. And that includes in the ways that he's, he's given us ways to see answers. So our hair, our symptoms, our blood, um, any other functional tests, like he created our bodies already containing the answers within them, if that makes sense. Um, And so we don't have to be discouraged or look outside of ourselves for the answers always because the answer just lies in, to your health concerns, just lies in anchoring yourself in the way that the Lord has made you, um, in the way that he designed you, and knowing that your body has ultimately been on your side this whole time. And HTMA and blood work and all the ways that I look at people's labs um, just realigns my heart and my soul with that like every single day when I work and that's what fills me with so much immense purpose and I hope that encourages you today to know that you're not alone and that the Lord is with you like he created your body with this intelligent beautiful design he didn't make any mistakes when he made you and you're certainly not broken and so just by learning to listen to these signs in whatever way we do that whether it's by testing or just by listening to our body and being present um, hearing our symptoms out um, we can start to make that health progress that we all are searching for. That's so beautiful. And this verse also makes me think of, um, you know, cause it's like, don't be afraid. Um, 
and a lot of what we we find revealed in this HTMA is kind of this level of stress, you know, like the the how stressed the body is, and then we can adjust from there. And so, I think mm-hmm. even that that piece of it um, comes in as well. Absolutely. Um, so fantastic. Um, well, thank you for being here, my friend. Of course. You're so welcome. Anytime. We got to record a couple other fun, fun, fun podcast episodes in the next couple months, and I'm really excited about it. So thanks for having me back again. Yep. She'll be back soon, and um, we will do more. And again, if you're interested in the, in the school, get on our list so you can get all of the information about the, um, the Zoom calls and, and start dates and such. Um, but we're very, very excited to be working together. Okay, my friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.